This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. I think different people have different approaches and and a lot of it depends on different platforms. So there are people out there who manage to really separate their personality from the content that they're putting out there. Um, I personally, as you probably have noticed, <laughs> like to integrate my personality, like you said, because I think that it's important to humanize our profession and, and not um, have us be so intimidating or unapproachable or distant the way that doctors are often perceived. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast, presented by Gastrologics. I'm your host, Lisa Matthew, and today we're talking social media with Dr. Austin Chang of Jefferson Health in Philadelphia. Dr. Chang is director of the Endoscopic Bariatric Program and chief social media officer at Jefferson. He's also the founding president of the Association for Healthcare Social Media and is very active in our GI societies. As a, at best, social media lurker and at worst, a self-prescribed Luddite millennial, uh, I'm excited to learn how GI physicians can use social media to get important information out in our communities. Dr. Chang, welcome to Gastro Broadcast. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about more, um, when did you decide to become a gastroenterologist and how did you choose to work in a hospital setting? Uh, it was actually pretty late into uh, my training when I was a resident. I had gone through the whole gamut of different options in internal medicine and ultimately decided on gastroenterology because of its variety, the procedural aspect of it, uh, the innovation that goes along with that, and um, the personalities of the people I was working with. And ultimately, because I'm an advanced and bariatric endoscopist, I think the nature of this kind of super subspecialty niche uh, lends itself well to an academic setting, which is why I ended up uh, staying at the final training grounds um, where I did my advanced endoscopy training uh, here at Jefferson. Speaking of specialized niche, um, a few years ago, you helped to found the Association of Healthcare Social Media uh, to provide sound medical information on social media platforms. Tell us about this association and what you're working on now. Yeah, it's really um, a, a trying to find how to empower other health professionals to use social media effectively and responsibly. Um, I've always believed in trying to bridge that gap between how uh, us as healthcare professionals and the patient and how they're uh, obtaining medical information and making sure that we, uh, those of us who are trained in uh, the areas that we're trained in are the ones who are actively on social media putting out that information and not relying on third-party sources. Uh, so over the years, many of us ha who are active on social media and kind of have learned through experience from being on the different social media platforms um, wanted to get together to share our, share our experience. But also, especially with this past year, we've started partnering with the social media platforms directly to provide specific training about these specific platforms because they're evolving so rapidly and there's always new features being rolled out and new things to think about. So um, so it's really come together to, to be kind of more of a resource-based organization. I mean, I think this is 
tremendous. I um, myself, as I alluded to, have been a little disenfranchised by social media, largely because of the division it seems to sow. Um, and when I see things like anti-vaxxers being given a platform or COVID deniers, um, my response has been to pull back. And it's so refreshing to see you really lean into that and say, this is an opportunity. This is a space where not only we, we can't ignore it, we, we need to be active um, on behalf of our, our patients and our, our um, profession. Um, so not exactly. all heroes wear capes. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's exactly the motivation behind this is that, you know, other people are out there putting out their information, whether or not it's accurate or um, evidence-based. And, and so we really need to be there as well because no one else is going to be doing the talking for us. Exactly. Um, and you recently published a study, actually, that showed a correlation between social media presence and divisional rankings in the U.S. News and World Report annual rankings of hospitals. This is fascinating. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that study? Yeah, a lot of the research that I've done in social media really is driven by wanting to justify uh, the time we spend on social media and kind of to help institutions recognize and other health professionals recognize the value of social media. And so this uh, study was done a couple years back trying to draw associations between the social media presence and um, national reputation and ranking because ultimately that's what a lot of patients will pay attention to is a ranking on certain platforms like U.S. News and World Report. So through this study, we found that there was an association uh, between uh, Twitter follower count and the division ranking. Um, and so hopefully that'll encourage divisions and hospitals to use social media even more. And for practices out there that want to increase their social media presence, how, how do they get more followers? How is this done? It's a very tricky question because <laughs> I think <laughs> that so many, um, so many people have different motivations. And when it comes to practices, you know, is the motivation to educate their specific patient population, their communities, or is it to market the business? Um, I think it's a uh, it's tricky. So I, I would actually encourage not to um, focus so much on the follower count or any of these vanity metrics. I think it should be really purpose driven. And from there, you know, if it's solely to educate existing patients, for instance, you know, making sure that you're putting time and value into that is probably more key. And naturally, if other people find value in it, they, they will also um, start to follow. Uh, but it, it really is a um, kind of long drawn out process. You know, it's taken me years, for instance, on certain platforms to amass a following. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not really the following that counts. It's really, you know, the information that I'm putting out there and and the interactions that I'm developing with the people who are following me. And I think that's one key thing is that as much as it could be very polarizing and uh, dividing in a lot of ways, like you mentioned, it's also social media is also a great way to bring people together, to uh, build your network, to collaborate with others and build friendships. So um, I think that it, we should really see it just as an extension of our usual interpersonal interactions, uh, just like as though we were, you know, making more friends in the real world. 
You're pulling me out of my Luddite ways. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any examples of groups or institutions that you think are really using social media effectively? I think that as time goes on, more organizations and institutions are, are um, becoming more facile with social media and more creative. And sometimes the platforms themselves lend itself to more creativity. Um, I mean, I think that, uh, gosh, within the medical field, you know, a lot of the large organizations have huge social media teams to back them up. And and so I, I tend to like to focus on the individuals who are out there kind of doing it themselves and have built a voice. It's harder to get a practice or an organization to, to um, be attractive to your patients out there because it's very, um, it lacks the kind of personal, the personality that comes with an individual. So kind of... Uh, to your point about how to grow a following for a practice, I would actually focus on the individual providers and physicians um, and uh, kind of developing a voice around that. Um, but yeah, I think that there's so many on every single platform and it depends on which platform <laughs> because people have different strengths too, you know. Some people might find themselves better on camera and there's so people who are really great on YouTube, for instance, whereas there's others who are really strong on, on Twitter and can really get a point across uh, through their activity on there. And I guess along those lines, what advice do you have for physicians who use social media? Um, what are do's and don'ts? What should they avoid or be, be thoughtful around as they're building their following? Yeah, this is um, also a very complex question because um, there are just so many different considerations, especially those of us who've done this for years. We've all we've seen it all in terms of how um, social media can can uh, go awry. And and that's really the whole purpose of creating the Association for Healthcare Social Media is to help educate on all the different nuances around this. But generally speaking, I think that we need to consider that our patients are always watching us and that we need to be mindful of that and that when we are putting our voice out there that we are also inviting ourselves opening ourselves to scrutiny and criticism and we have to be prepared for that especially if we're talking about polarizing subjects or sensitive subjects and um, and so I think generally speaking if you're able to put yourself in the shoes of a patient or a patient's family member I think that that's always a good starting point in thinking about how they perceive us um, on, on the internet. It's interesting. I reflected back on, you know, during medical school, learning about establishing that physician-patient relationship and how in so many ways it's very one-sided. Um, patients share incredibly sensitive information with us and we are asked to present a very neutral um, facade, uh, not really sharing much of our own personalities. And Social media is the exact opposite. I mean, you're you're really showcasing your personality for anyone who chooses to partake. And I think you know that's sort of the crux of the tension for me um, when I look at at social media influencers like yourself and how to maintain some professional distance um, in your clinical practice. Um, I'm wondering if you can share any insights or. Um, uh, episodes that have been challenging along those lines? 
I think different people have different approaches, and again, a lot of it depends on different platforms. So there are people out there who manage to really separate their personality from the content they're putting out there.、Um, I personally, as you probably have noticed, <laughs> like to integrate my personality, like you said, because I think that it's important to humanize our profession and. And not、um, have us be so intimidating or unapproachable or distant the way that doctors are often perceived.、Um, so I think that some of the difficult portions are、um, more related to kind of the where that. Relationship with your followers may be blurred. Some people may start to see you as a friend and try to、um, lean on you for medical advice, for instance. And redirecting those conversations is sometimes difficult. Or even taking into consideration my personal safety and、um, you know what、uh, you know what I'm doing in terms of. Um, revealing where I am and, and and things like that because as much as it hasn't been a huge deal for me, I know that it's gotten some people、uh, in really sticky situations in the past.、Mm-hmm. Um, you were actually just nominated by TikTok for the Queer Advocate of the Year Award.、Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, honestly, I have no idea how I was nominated among so, so many amazing nominees.、Um, but that was the part of the Glad Media Awards that just came out, and I was very honored. And you know, I have spoken up about certain LGBTQ-related health issues on TikTok,、um, which is why、um, I was probably included in that group.、Um, but、uh, but yeah, it was just such a tremendous honor to be. Recognized, and、um, I ended up not winning, but that's okay because the person who won is an incredible, incredible advocate and、um, and totally deserving of it. So I, I'm just glad to see that there is that there are people out there who are speaking on these issues. You know, not necessarily health related, but kind of、um, just improving representation and raising awareness about certain aspects.、Um, Which really goes to show that social media can be used in so many different ways to enhance,、uh, you know, so many, enhance the representation for so many different groups out there. Agreed.、Um, congratulations. I mean, it really speaks to how well your voice resonates and the impact that you're having. Thank、really、you. Fantastic.、Um, Along those lines, I mean, there's a lot of battles left to be fought, and the CDC just declared racism a serious public health threat. And many cities and states are declaring it a public health issue. As leaders in our communities, how can we use social media to better address racism? Ooh, obviously a very、um, complicated question. But I feel that、um, it always comes down to kind of what we see from our lens. So, you know, as a health professional on、uh, on social media. I really try to tie it back to how racism really affects our、um, our practice, and there's just so many aspects to this. Not only in kind of the execution of clinical of our clinical practice and and how we practice medicine, but also kind of the history that behind it. Um, and what led to how things are the way they are now, and why you know in a lot of ways.、Um, Institutional racism still exists, and why it's still being perpetuated.、Um, so,、uh, I think that just kind of 
raising awareness and speaking candidly about these things and um, is really helpful. And I think that, you know, because it's a, an evolving topic, um, being honest about how we're still trying to figure this out, just like we are for so many different other things is, is really important. And on these hot button issues, ones that frequently raise tempers and, um, in social media, those tempers don't have a lot of, um, uh, ways to dampen. Um, how, how do you deal with people who disagree with you? It depends on which topic I'm speaking on. Uh, if I feel that this is a productive conversation that I can have with somebody in my comment section, then I will certainly engage and and try to have a productive conversation. But if I feel that um, somebody is trolling, which often occurs on the internet, then um, it's my kind of preference to disengage at that point. Uh, because sometimes you can find yourself in... Um, a, a tricky situation where you're being, um, where your thoughts are being broadcast or being used against you. And, and so sometimes you do have to uh, judge whether or not these interactions are fruitful. Um, but, uh, but you know, again, I, I try to do the best I can and, and push those limits a little bit just because I know that if we don't talk about these issues, then they're never going to be discussed and um, and I'd rather there be a conversation to kind of move the needle. Yeah, you walk that line very well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, try. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. I mean, you're a busy guy. You have a full clinical practice building a bariatric endoscopy program and wearing this completely separate hat in a lot of ways um, as social media officer at Jefferson. How do you divide your time? Which of these duties pulls more of your attention? Um, how does this play out in, in real time for you? Yeah, I mean, I am full-time clinical, so everything that I do on social media really happens after hours, and it's constantly a juggling act and <laughs> reprioritizing different things. Um, but I wouldn't be doing the social media thing if I didn't truly enjoy it, and so I've always told myself that if I wasn't using it for medical related content, I would probably be scrolling aimlessly anyway, which I still do oftentimes. Um, so I think that as time has gone on, I've become more uh, judicious of you know how I'm using social media. I've also become more efficient. Um, so I've been able to juggle these things a little bit better, which, uh, you know, being on multiple different platforms is a lot, and um, and so I kind of have to shift gears a lot <laughs> to make it work. Well, I mean, you've provided a lot of insights into a framework of thinking about how to make social media work for you and work for our institutions. Where can our listeners find more information about the Association for Healthcare Social Media and some of these resources you've been alluding to? Yes, we have been updating our website. It's uh, ahsm.org. Um, you can also find us on most of the major social media platforms. Um, on Instagram, for instance, it's ahsm underscore org, as well as on Twitter. Um, and if anyone has specific questions about the organization or about what I do, feel free to reach out to me. I'm pretty easy to find in terms of, you know, my handle is the same everywhere, Austin Chang MD, uh, on Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, you name it, <laughs> Instagram. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, I'm always willing to help, you know, my colleagues out. 
Thank you so much. This has been really a pleasure um, and you're building something pretty special. So thanks for what you do. Thanks for having me once again. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.